We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey there, Knicks fans. How you doing? It's your boy, John of the Macri, with you for another episode of the Knicks Film School podcast, a podcast about a basketball team that, as of Tuesday, July 26th at 12.31 p.m., I still not traded for Donovan Mitchell, in case you were wondering, as Andrew laughs in the background. Um, yes, we continue to move along this summer, as promised, uh, with content, regardless of whether or not Donovan Mitchell is a Nick. Um, I was very excited to bring on today's guests. Uh, and I, we just finished talking with him. I just finished talking with him. And uh, I think you'll appreciate this. So Robert Silverman, if you're on Twitter, you probably have seen him on there. Uh, Robert is a longtime journalist who has written for a whole lot of different places that I go through when I introduce him uh, during the interview. And uh, he is someone who admittedly at times you know, is a little bit uh, more pessimistic about this team uh, than others. And as a podcast that generally, I at least from my point of view, uh, tries to be a glass half full look at the team, I thought it was important to have someone on uh, who, you know, is, you know, wants to believe, you know, very much wants to believe, but at the same time, uh, maybe a little bit more pessimistic. So we we went back and forth a little bit. Uh, about this regime, about their current path and uh, the pursuit of uh, Donovan Mitchell. And uh, we should also mention, I should also mention that Bob wrote an article recently for D Magazine. Uh, it was an open letter from a Nick fan uh, about their signing Jalen Brunson, which you can find on his uh, Twitter feed. Uh, that is at Bob Sayetta, uh on, on the old Twitter.com app. So yeah, it, little bit of a different uh, feel from some of our usual content. I should also say, again, Robert is a very longtime member of the assembled media. So unsurprisingly, he had some thoughts and comments about uh, what has been probably the biggest story in Nick's land over the last week to 10 days, which was uh, their decision to hold a an introduction event for Jalen Brunson and not uh, invite the 
the local beat or national beat or any any reporters of any kind um, other than Bill Pito. So he speaks about this. Uh, you know, Andrew and Jeremy and I had discussed whether we wanted to say anything on the issue previously, and we kind of decided that we just didn't really want to. We wanted to keep the conversation about basketball. That said, uh, because Bob wanted to talk about it, I gave my two cents. So you could hear those later in the show. Um, and yeah, I, uh, I think that that's it. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Robert Silverman. Joining me now on the Knicks Film School podcast, a returning guest, although it's been a while, which we're going we're gonna to talk about that. Um, some stuff has happened in the last three years, but it, I mean, time is a flat circle. Yeah, I was about to say, is it, is it really? Um, he is a reporter. Uh, he has had his work featured just about everywhere. Um, the Daily Beast. I want to make sure I don't miss anything. So I'm just reading from his Twitter bio. The Daily Beast, <laughs> Deadspin, Huffington Post, Politico, ESPN, um, New Republic, Vice, The Times, and Guardian. Um, ESPN. I've had a couple of ESPN stories too, I guess. Did I say ESPN? Did I skip over ESPN? I don't know. I might not have put it in the Twitter bio. ESPN deserves a second mention, even, even sure. so. The worldwide leader. I have been that. published by the worldwide leader. It's true. That's a cool thing to say. It is cool. Uh, it was cool. I got to work. I think Kevin Arnovitz was my main editor on one of the ESPN stores, and he was great to work with. So shout out to Kevin Arnovitz. Who's I like I like I like it whenever Arnovitz comes on the low post uh, drink. Yeah. Um, anyway, Robert Silverman, thank you for coming back on the show. I will start by just saying what a journey it's been since I slid into your DMs probably four Four and a half years ago, when I was like just, start, I, I, I don't know, I probably yeah. had a, a yeah, couple hundred Twitter was, followers. I think and it I was, was like 20, 2017, probably. Yeah. Yeah. For, so about five years ago. And I was like, hey, well, I want to be a writer. Can you give me some tips on writing? How do I write things? And you were like, uh, you fucking idiot. No, you didn't say that, thankfully. Uh, I think I, my, my exact words were run screaming for the hills. Don't do that. <laughs> That's a bad idea. What are you thinking? Leave, stop, turn around, do something else. Become a basket weaver. Uh, the world <laughs> always needs baskets. The world always needs baskets. Um, yes. Uh, let me just say, man, your, your work is awesome. Uh, I read it on the daily. It's, no. it's a delight having you cover the Knicks. Um, and I, I, am, I am blown away by the kind of written output you put out every single day let alone the podcasts uh thank so you you should have like it's all on you man it's you. it's it, listen i think that your advice early on was just like i mean i don't remember good i i do actually remember I think, the gist I think of it something it was just the gist of like figure out what you want to say and yeah. say it as direct and say it as honestly as possible and and just well no as, as honestly yeah. and as directly yeah. as possible yeah that's yeah. i think what i said which was one of the best pieces of advice I ever got because as a for I, I as how I felt at least or how I feel in retrospect, when you're just starting out writing, you're just trying to make everything sound good and you try to expend so many words to try to make the thing sound good until you realize like, wait a minute, let me just say what the fuck I have to say. And then say what you want to say. Look, I still I struggle with that all the time. I write these sentences that I think are pretty and beautiful and insightful and, and, and fantastic and filled with Italian at turns of phrase. And then I read them and I'm, I'm just, I think to myself, 
Shut the fuck up. Just say the thing as simply, say it as simply and directly as possible. And you can't worry about if it's good writing because it's one, it's, it's an impossible subjective standard and there's no way to define it. And the only thing you can do is try to say to an audience, is try to say like, look, I'm trying to explain this to you. It, the important thing is how it lands with the audience, yes. not how it makes you feel writing it. Does the audience understand what you're saying? And if they didn't understand what you wanted to say, well, then you screwed up somewhere along the line. So maybe try to say it more simply. Sometimes that means take, you know, another couple of paragraphs to figure out how you want to say it. But the goal is how it impacts the people who are reading it. And that's all you, that's, figure that out. And the rest will fall in the line. I, I like it. It's good advice. And I've gotten that from a number of different editors who've said it to me in various ways. And yet, and yet, and yet, and yet, it's not easy. If it was easy, everyone could do it. It's not easy. I like you I, can do I, it. I tell my daughter that already. She's not yet six years old. And whenever she complains about something, I'm like, if, if it was easy, everybody would do it. Um, I referenced the last time we spoke on this podcast, which was uh, June 30th of 2019, uh, which was a day when the Knicks, the, the thing that many that was thought. The, that was the day. That was that, the day. The, the day when people thought it would doom the Knicks franchise when they lost out on Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant was the last time we spoke. I wrote, yeah, I wrote something. I think I wrote something that day for the Daily Beast about the, every now and then the Daily Beast lets me go off on the Knicks. They're like, could you write a, could you write some Knicks content for us? And I'm like, yeah, I can do that. Um, and I think I wrote about how they were getting clowned on and they were getting clowned on, but it's like, you know, that story that uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman tells in Charlie Wilson's War about the Zen monk and the little boy and the pony, you know, we'll see. We'll see. Well, now here we are three years here later. We are. The Nets, uh, the, they had their latest Kevin Durant trade rumor pop up um, yesterday as we are recording this. Um, and the Knicks, look, um, I, you, your piece that you wrote recently for uh, D Magazine um, talked about the kind of the magazine inter- for people who love the letter D, by the way, if you're not. Like, <laughs> yes. And yeah, all things D. All things D. If your name starts with D, you should read D Magazine. Um, yes. No, but you, in addition to writing about the ties between the Dallas Mavericks and the New York Knicks, you also wrote about how there is a familiar feeling to how this summer has gone. Now, this is before the Donovan Mitchell rumors really jumped up. Into we'll, high we'll, gear. Yeah. Into high gear. We'll, we'll get to those in a second because I, I, I want sure. to pick your brain on that, too. But like, you know, I, I don't want to. You've been someone who has been vocal over the years about the way that the owner has has run this basketball team. And his latest big move was to hire Leon Rose and World Wide West and the way that Leon Rose and World Wide West have run the team in the two and a half years that they've been here, as you very eloquently pointed out, has been this kind of like, you know, fam, family. It's all in the family, right? I know there, it was interesting. It was really funny to hear uh, the quotes that came out of Jalen Brunson days after he finally actually did sign when he said actually the same thing that was in the article, which is I'm here because I'm, I want to be a part of the family. And, you know, this was, again, this is, I, I don't think I got into it in detail that there was, a, I used a hyperlink. I didn't go and like really delve, but Henry Abbott over at Drew who wrote about this back in, in the, after Lynn left the Knicks for Houston what Henry Abbott did is he wrote this postmortem, I think it was in 2013, that he wrote it about 
the connections between Carmelo Anthony, the larger CAA family, and, and the Knicks, which is that Carmelo Anthony very much had this vision of building a team based on these perceived familial bonds. And Jeremy Lin did not fit into that world. And so he had to go. Was the, the main takeaway, I think, or one of the main takeaways from that piece. And that it just didn't, that, that Melo believed for whatever reason, and there are a lot of complex reasons having to do with mainly some rightful jealousy about the fact that Lynn was turned into the most beloved superstar, not just in New York, but in the entire sports world and, you know, for a good two-week period. And Carmelo Anthony, who had been, you know, already an all-star, already a player who could lead a team to the Western Conference Finals, already one of the, you know, the, probably at the time, the 10 best players in the league. Sure. Yeah. Never got that kind of love from New York fans. And so I think it's understandable why he responded that way. Um, you can say he shouldn't have done that. Um, but the jealousy is, I think on a human level, you can understand why he might feel that way. Now, yeah, the Knicks have always, the Knicks have always, even during the times when their front office hasn't been particularly well run, and I think it's obviously a lot better run than it now. The point that I was making in the article is that they're still using these same operating principles, which is that some other team's star must be imported in order to win. And that star must also have certain, let's say, financial or contract-based alliances that extend beyond off the court. And it's not that it can't work as a team building strategy. It obviously can't. There are a nearly infinite number of ways to skin this particular NBA cat and build a team that is sustainable and successful. What I was trying to say in the article is, it reminds me of all of the, it, it just on a, it gets me right in the feels and it reminds me of all the ways in which this plan has not worked to date, which I think you can probably say stretches back since the year 2000. And so, well, on a purely just like emotional, like how am I as a human being dealing with this team that I care so much about? I, I had an, an instinctive reaction to be like, no, I want something else. I want something different, regardless of whether it works or not. It's I am being triggered. I am triggered by the Knicks signing of Jalen Brunson and it's reminding me of all the other. It's reminding me of them trading the, the farm for Marbury. It's reminding me of them trading the farm for Eddie Curry. It's a reminder of them signing Amari Stoudemire when, when LeBron told them to get bent. It's a reminder of, of all of those ways in which they were told that actually this next star is the one who's going to save New York. And, and you honestly, admit they've been trying that. They had no, they have for years. Yeah. But you even admit in the piece because you're you're a, in addition to being a brilliant writer, you're also a smart enough Nick fan, I think, to know that like signing Brunson for what is a, maybe a slight overpay, but it's a you know, it's a it's measure it, deal. It, it absolutely is a good trade. I, like there's you, nothing to complain about that. You're, you're a signing because it, it wasn't a trade. Like, signing, you're signing, you're, signing, you're smart yeah. enough to know that that is not on par on a in a basketball sense. With the Marbury, the Curry thing, and even honestly, the Stoudemire thing, because the issues Absolutely with his knees. Ab- but it's it's is, the feels that it gives you. Wrong. Yes, it's just the it's the vibes, man. Yeah. We're all about vibes here. The vibes do not vibe <laughs> with my vibes. The vibes. There's. I want a vibe shift. Is what I'm asking for. I, I actually. I actually want to challenge what you just said about can it work? Because can it work this way? Building a team this way. 
where and, and I, I always have to couch this. We love R.J. Barrett here at Knicks Film School. It is when we when we talk about homegrown star, I think you could maybe characterize him as a star. I, I am not willing to yet put him in the category of uh, going to be one of the two best players um, on a championship team. So and the reason I go on that little diatribe, as I feel like I always have to, is you look around the league and like teams that traditionally win or are at least in the conversation of like, oh, they should be the ones trading for Donovan Mitchell, not the Knicks. Two thirds of them have drafted a guy, which, you know, if even if you have to squint a little bit, like it can be maybe the guy. The strategy that they're trying, I believe, is entirely dependent on on R.J. Barrett or one of the kids becoming an all star. Yeah. And if that doesn't happen, then in two years, we're. We're talking about shipping all these guys off. We're stripping the team back down to the studs and selling everyone off for parts. Yeah. So, so like I, 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 and I, and this is why I wrote this several weeks ago when the, when the Mitchell rumors first popped up, it's like whether they trade for Mitchell or they don't trade for Mitchell, either way, this is ice skating uphill because they have not positioned themselves to, to tank in the next few years. So there is no obvious path that way to get the star in the draft. And if they trade a bunch for Mitchell, it's going to be really tough to get the second guy unless I, and, I, yeah. I watched your, I watched your, your podcast yesterday with, with Jeremy uh, breaking down all the possible implications of the, of the cap trade. And, and, and my head turned at least twice into the Zach Galifianakis numbers are spinning. Around <laughs> my head. But that's, but that's where it has to be because yeah. it is going to take just such a set of circumstances to get from Point A, assuming point A is Donovan Mitchell and Jalen Brunson, we should throw him in there too because he's a really good player and RJ Barrett to get from there to to point B, and it's a tough way to go. And I, you know, and I don't know if this is too far bridge to to to, to or too far a gap to bridge. But that's why I want to ask you because you also this other concept of the the feels being the same, where it ultimately comes down to there's the the people that run this team and have been running this team for 20 years, there is a theoretically, at least there is a trust factor between the ownership, the owner, not the ownership. He is one man. It's one guy, one man. And we're, we're going to talk about that one guy, by the way, we're going oh, we're, to we're talk, gonna talk about, about that one B- between him and the people running the team in that he trusts them and he empowers them to do whatever he's going to do. And then there's a question of, well, how do those people continue to earn his trust and what are the decisions that are being made? Um, you know, are they necessarily in the best interest of the basketball team? And like, I, I, because again, we could go two and a half years ago when he hired Leon Rose, there were a lot of people wanted him to hire Masai Ujiri. Now he doesn't well, have a assuming pre- he, assuming he could have got have him paid and yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know yeah. why Masai would leave Toronto. I, I don't know why even either. For, even yes, yes, yes. The money, the money, the money, the money, Lebowski, even if even if he had just brought in a literal wheelbarrow (laughs) filled filled with that those Walter White stacks of cash. I don't know if Masai Hiri would have said, I am going to leave a stable team situation for the Knicks, no matter how much money, how many Dolan bucks he might have put. And why? I mean, and why is that? Let's but let, Knicks, let's let's actually look at this. 
Have the Knicks ever, we, we just said, if it doesn't work out, by the way, if the Knicks aren't able to concoct a second star to go alongside even Donovan Mitchell, if Brunson doesn't make another miraculous leap, if, if R.J. Barrett doesn't become the player a lot of people think he can be, if, if they trade for Donovan Mitchell and he just stays at this level and you say, well, in two years, then they got to tear it down and start all over again. Will they? No. You know why? Because the Knicks have, look, I find tanking, to be as a fundamental level as a moral act in terms of just the basic relationship between me, consumer, and the team product, I find it to be fundamentally immoral and awful. But as a team building strategy, it is considered best practices pretty much throughout all of the major pro sports. Yep. The Knicks have never done it. They did the for one year. Never. No, they didn't. The Knicks have never in when they got R.J. Barrett, they 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 did willingly tank one season, but it wasn't the type of tank that you're talking about, which occurs over multiple seasons, because the intention was always for it to be one season and one season only because of who they planned to sign that summer. So I guess in a sense, right. no, they've yes, never. That's really what I mean. It. They had yeah. one year I don't, where they didn't. The point, the point at the beginning of the year, by the way, was not to be awful in that to in that in that in that season. I that was agree. not the plan. It became self-evident within, I, I don't know, the first time the ball was dropped to Tarrytown, but it became self-evident soon enough. And, and then as soon as they got R.J. Barrett, they began signing. They signed Randall. They signed Bobby yeah. Portis. They signed Tom. They signed an entire like phalanx of, of power forwards, and, and that was the end of it. The Knicks have, even that first year when they were awful and they got Porzingis in 2014-2015, Phil's first year, that was not the plan. You don't, you don't, you know, they, they thought that Calderon and Sam D'Alembert and those guys. And uh, uh, I believe Alexei Shved was a star of that team for a hot minute. A hot Look, minute. I wrote a blog for, I wrote a blog for Vice in which I compared Alexei Shved to the viral popularity of Russian debt, like car cam crash videos. And I stand by that take. They never tried to tank during the, the Isaiah years. They didn't even try to tank during the first two years of, of the D'Antonio regime. They have, they have never executed. The Knicks have never executed what most would consider a traditional long-term team building plan. And that was really the point of what I was writing in that article. It's like, I would like to see them try because not just because I think it would lead to better results. There are, the fields are, are strewn with the corpses of failed teams who have tried this plan and failed miserably. Not because I think it'll necessarily work better. It's because I find rooting for these guys over a considerable period of time, watching them grow, watching them develop, learning all the nuances of the game. I find it to be a more interesting and profound fan experience and one that's honestly less rings and title dependent because my Personal belief is that as long as James Dolan is running the team, they will never win a title. Full stop. Never. It can't happen. And I think that your point about Masai not being a realistic option in terms of why would he leave what is, by all accounts, a very nice situation in Toronto. I'm putting aside the team. Just he, he certainly seems to have full autonomy. Toronto is a beautiful city. Fantastic. No one so denies many- that. A ton, a ton of reasons why he, he should not want to leave there, but it, it I'll bring it back to that trust 
part of it where if, if Masaru Hiro was was given the giant mega millions wad of cash from Dylan and, and he said yes let's assume that happens the first thing he would want to do is clean out the entire front office from top to bottom install his guys install and rework all kinds of systems basically at every level of the organization no Knicks president of basketball operations under James Dolan has really been allowed to do that and I don't think Masai would either I mean there are, if you look at the, if you go to NBA.com and you look at the listing on the Knicks front office, you will see people who have been there throughout six, through, who were there when it was just Scott, when it was Scott Perry uh, and, uh, oh, and, and when it was Mills, Mills, Steve Mills. Yeah. I his name. How could we, how could we, how dare you? How dare you, I, sir? He's been around so long and yet I forgot <laughs> Steve Mills's name. Scott Perry and Steve, there were guys who were there when Scott, when Scott Perry and Steve Mills were in charge. There are guys who were there when Phil Jackson was in charge. There were guys who were there when Glenn uh, Greenwald, no, Glenn Grunwald, Glenn Grunwald, different guy. My worlds are combining. Don't put Glenn Greenwald in charge of the Knicks. I think that would end badly. Um, but when Glenn Grunwald was there, there were guys who were left over when Walsh was there and on and on and on and on, uh, you know, to the vast history of recorded time. And, and you wonder, well, that person must be incredibly good at their job if they've lasted in this for 15 years. Or there is another possible reason, which is that they have that the owner has developed an affinity for them and they perform certain roles that the owner wants performed without getting into like excessive and then, detail. And so like Masai would never would never take over unless he was given carte blanche to really install people. And if you really want to be paranoid, you can say, well, one of the reasons Leon Rose was hired is because Dolan was familiar with him for years because of the team's deep ties to CAA and because he's not the kind of executive who has a a a, a well-stocked Rolodex of up and coming front office talent who he can immediately say, well, I'm going to plug in this guy, this guy, this guy, and I'm going to remake this organization in my image because he has no idea what that image is to be like, at least when he's first starting out. So, okay. That's a long winded. Well, no, I, I, I think. Are, yeah. Yeah. No, I think you, you, you phrase it well. And the other thing I think Masai would have wanted to do in addition to stripping down the behind the scenes to the nails would be probably to strip down the, the what's on the basketball court down to the nails yeah. and engage in what it sure seemed like he was planning to do with Toronto when he tried to trade Kyle Lowry to the Knicks in uh, what was it? 2013 or 14. It's, it's uh, early 2013. The trade was locked in. Yeah. It was going to be, I believe Lowry for cap filler and Iman Shumpert and a first round draft pick. And the trade was going to happen, but the, according to reports, James Dolan said no because he was still f- angry about Masai and absolutely seeing him on the Bargnani trade. So that's what I think he would have done, which again, it takes a level of trust between your president of basketball operations and your owner to say, look, we're going to lose and we're going to lose a lot of games. Or we're going to lose a lot of games and we are going to be the butt of jokes for several years. Here's the silver lining. I, 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 I promised myself I would get here because you, you are the pessimist and I am the optimist. Here's my silver lining. With, with the caveat that this is, this is talking ourselves into the best that things can be under this owner. I'm going to say, I think this is the best that things could be under this owner. And here's why. I think there is so much trust between him and Leon, for all of the reasons you just explored earlier, 
because of all the back to all of the we don't need to go over it, but CAA, the three letters. There's your there's your reason. CAA that he is letting Leon like, look, go do it. I'm not going to bother you to the point where and I, I don't know oh, if I really I, believe this. I am in a I am in a group chat filled with lots of bitter middle aged Knicks fans like myself. And you, you guys, can, I'll, I'll get you guys an invite you, if you want. There's some rude jokes and we put us on the wait list. It's there's some sad, if you want to hang out with some sad men. That's the place to be. Who also like the Knicks. In any case, I'm in a group chat with these gentlemen. Um, as soon as the Donovan Mitchell rumors hit, we immediately began having flashbacks. And all of us assumed that at some point, James Dolan would say, would start throwing piece, like pieces into the trade, like adding kindling to a fire. We all assumed it would happen. We expected it to happen. And so far, it hasn't happened. I mean, there's still you know, clock still ticking, but uh, the fact that they have managed to that reportedly they have a price they will not go above and that ownership is not just sort of, you know, coming barreling into the door like the Kool-Aid man. If the Kool-Aid man also was playing the harmonica and, and, and insisted that, like, somehow they get to re- like throw Timothy Mozgov into the deal again for some reason. Could we is- sign Mozgov now, today <laughs> to put him in the deal? The point is, you're correct. I think given the paradigm that this owner, I, I think, is fundamentally incapable of letting go of. This is the best iteration of that. And, you know, I'm, I, I, I really just want to root for I, I just want to watch some teams that are fun and that I like. It's why I don't want to, I don't want them to give up, you know, Obi Toppin or quickly or, or any of those kids, not even because of sound basketball principles. It's just because I have enjoyed watching those guys grow and develop. And I have an affinity for them that has nothing to do with the final score of a game. And so I'd like to see them hang around and see what they might become. It could it, all end very badly. It, well, it I'd could. I like those guys. Yeah, it, it could end badly. And we'll see how this goes. But the other thing, and I have to, uh, you know, the intellectual part of me can certainly look back and say it would have been better to trade Julius Randle 15 or 20 games into the 2020-21 season and then proceed to try to lose as many games as possible and play Obi top in a hundred minutes a game and, and Emmanuel quickly in the whole thing. But at the same time, and I know Andrew has spoken about this a lot and I'll, you know, I speak for both of us and Jeremy and everybody here at KFS that season was incredibly meaningful for us as Nick fans and also incredibly meaningful. As, like, professionally. Yeah. 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 Like well, look, this is the thing that this amazing. Thing I, I, while I understand the logic of like, literally just ripping the copper wiring out of the walls and rebuilding a team and, and selling off everything valuable. That was a great year. I love that year. I loved watching Julius Randle that year. He was, to me, watching the old school aspects of his game, the, the utterly inefficient, clearly unsustainable aspects of his game, those series of low post moves, the jabs and the feints, like that gave me that that reminded me at times of watching Bernard King. And that's why I enjoy it. And I, Bernard is my favorite Nick. Bernard is the Bernard is the Nick I grew up loving as a kid. I will. The, you cannot convince me that any Nick will ever be better than Bernard King was for about two years. And that was like, yeah, the, you know, bing bong or not. That was a great year. And yes, you're right. 
I don't think they should. I think there is value. I think there is a moral and even an economic and a long-term team building value in providing pleasurable moments for your fan base. And I don't think that should ever be discounted. That was a great year. I loved it. Yeah, it was, it was I fun. I, I, and I, I hate Trey Young. I love hating <laughs> Trey Young. Fuck, fuck Trey Young That's is true. the unofficial Trae motto Young. of this podcast. Fuck um, Trey Young. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. We'll, we'll see what happens with the Mitchell stuff. Uh, I, I do think the longer this goes, the better it, it is. Know, it's it's going to be the kind of... I, my, 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 I have no sauces on this, but my best guess is that it's going to be the kind of trade where a certain percentage of the fans are going to get mad and because they feel like they gave up too much. There's another contingent that is going to say that it's a steal. It will not be the haul that Danny Ainge covets in his heart of hearts, nor will it be, uh, nor will it be a, will they, the jazz give him up for peanuts. It'll, it'll be something where there'll be meat on the bone for everybody to, 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 to chew on. And it's going to, I think it'll be, but it, you know, We'll see. Uh, in my mind, it kind of has to happen. I, I can't remember a trade in NBA history where there was absolutely was this much smoke and gossip and talk and leaks and value and like, you know, respectable sources and unrespectable sources, like giving out information about when it's going to happen and having it then not be consummated. I think it will. It's just a question of when. I, I agree with you. Um, and I also want to double down on I know you didn't really say it in this context, but I have said it in this context, which is that I do think it needs to happen. Not that again, not that it would be the end of the world. I've heard you. I've heard you. I think like the question is like, do Leon, does Leon Rose have a walkaway price and does he have the, is ownership willing to say like willing to go to him or ownership? That one guy, if Leon Rose goes to that one guy and says like, they will not bend on this. I will not bend on this. We're walking away. Is that going to in some way imperil his job status? That's the question. 
I, think I, ju- you're hinting. I just I have to throw in a movie reference here. Sure. Uh, it is, is it Heat. Is it De Niro and Heat? You he he will walk away and you will let him, and then he throws something against them. Yeah, 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 yeah. Inside are of the you, truck. Are you excited for the Michael Mann novel? That's a prequel and a sequel to Heat. I have heard about this. I will be purchasing it. Heat is my is one of my go to movies. Anytime there's nothing, there's no game. There are no Mets. Let's go Mets, Andrew. There are no Mets games. There is no there is no uh, streaming content that I particularly want to watch. I can always watch Heat again. It's, Heat and Michael Clayton are my two. Okay, oh. well, there's nothing on, but I'm going to watch Michael Clayton. And the Michael Clayton quote fits here too. It's Tom Wilkinson saying, "Do you have the horses?" It's not what you know and it's not what you believe. Do you have the horses? And if you don't, then what are we doing here? I love it. I think there is a walkaway price and I don't want them to go above that walkaway price. But with the, this is why I'm trying to have my cake and eat it too. With the understanding that you do not go above the level of absurdity, whatever that line of absurdity is, with the understanding you don't go above it. I kind of think they have, I kind of think if the Knicks can't consummate this trade, let's say, let's say Toronto instead of overpaying instead of instead of giving up Scotty Barnes, which they won't do for Durant decides to turn a package involving Siakam and Trent into Donovan Mitchell or something to that effect. I don't have trade NBA up in front of me. Probably OG, probably OG Trent and and a bunch of picks. Yeah, right. Let's say they put together a package that in terms of talent is superior to the Knicks, but draft capital is less. And they snagged Donovan Mitchell, which, by the way, would not be the craziest thing for Toronto to do. Let's say they do. I don't think I don't think it means Dolan is starting to, you know, is is looking around for someone else to run the team. I think I think I think not. You may, do, you know. No, I don't. I don't disagree. I, I the reason I'm shaking my head is I, I I think the reason why I feel the way I, I feel or I feel as strongly as I do about wanting very much for them to complete this trade is because given the fact that this is, as we've discussed, the path that this front office has laid out to, to trade for star number one and, and then ostensibly attract star number two and have enough left over to trade for him. I don't see another obvious name. Now, look, we've, we've said this in the past and then somebody else comes up, but what I think is instructive is like just this week, right? Just this week, Kevin Durant, uh, well, he's been on the trade market for a while, but like Jalen Brown, Jalen Brown's a star, right? Um, I don't know if he could be the best player in it. Nets should a, take that deal. The Nets, if, if, the Nets should, what, if Boston offered, even without Marcus Smart thrown in, I agree. Even if the deal is Derek White, Jalen Brown, and some picks, well, or, some picks. Or Grant Williams or something, or, you know, thrown in or something like that, the Nets should say yes and thank you. So, but like, so people will be like, well, Jalen Brown, you know, great. He'd be a great fit on the Knicks, right? Yeah, well, guess what? That trade can't, ha- well, not that it can't happen. It's not going to happen between the Celtics and the Knicks for a thousand reasons. First of which is that that's not the trade that the Celtics no. are trying to make. They're trying to trade no. Taylor Brown to get Kevin Durant. They're trying to get one of, they're trying to get a player who is top five at worst in the NBA right now and clearly somewhere in the top 20 in NBA history. Yeah. And so it's not about a star coming on the market. It's about a star coming on the market that makes sense for your franchise, where you're at, at the time that you're making the trade and you having the package that makes sense for the team that is trading the star. And like that, you know, that lines up here. So the fact that it lines up, I think 
again yeah that's the trade that everyone's going to lose their bits over is that kevin durant is somehow going to be traded for what's perceived as possibly less than rudy gobert just because of just because of the market conditions that you described we, we've gone long and we haven't even gotten into ethics and nick's journalism which was oh my point goodness. of contention do we want to do it do we want to save it for another time or we want to leave it you know let's, we can it's we on can. you well, hold so on. We've had I want to finish. Time. Let's. We'll get to it. But I want to finish the Durant point sure. really quickly. Okay, As an NBA course. fan, yes. Are you worried that this is the state of things, where essentially no. it is on a basketball player to not give a so, shit? Right. If well, you know, there was the the, the 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 I thought the Adam Silver quote that he gave during the Vegas Summer League was kind of instructive, in which he ba- he basically said, "I don't like this that players just who sign multi year contracts can just ask for trades and leave." And I don't think it puts the, in, you know, that the focus is now on all this offseason and gossip and rumor hurly burly and not on what happens actually on the court. And my response to that is pretty much, gee, I wonder how we got to this point. Who was what league very much made it clear that to two, that to true diehard fans, in order to appreciate the sport, you had to be typed like tweeting out this league exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point, number one, exclamation point. Every time there was like a Shams or a Woj post. What teams, what league celebrated the idea that NBA basketball is a 12 month year round experience because of these kinds of because of all of the attendant noise surrounding possible transactions. The NBA did that. That's the bed they made. And I'm really sorry if they don't like how it turned out in terms of retaining actual fans to watch games. Cause they are even in like, you know, even accounting in for, you know, cord cutting and the number of people who, who consume NBA content in different ways. The NBA is objectively losing viewers. And once you know, LeBron retires and Steph Curry retires, this league is in a lot of trouble in terms of attendance. Now, I don't really care about that because I can still watch the Knicks in any case. And I like the NBA's bottom line is not something that worries me or even really interests me that much. Um, But to your point, I think the fact that this is the current state of affairs, the league really needs to look into a mirror and wonder out how they got there. So if they are upset about it, it is their own doing. And I have very little sympathy as a person who consumes NBA games, who likes watching NBA games. Yeah, it's probably not for the best, but one there was a there, there there was probably a different path and the NBA chose not to take it. And two, yeah. I do believe in, uh, you know, as, as as someone who supports labor and solidarity, I think on a fundamental level, like these guys should be able to choose where they want to work. And that's where like, I yeah. that's where and I as come much down as a, Yeah. And as much as I as a fan, I think it might be cooler if. I don't know. Durant had stayed in Oklahoma City and built a decade long rivalry with Steph Curry like that would have been in a bird magic way. Yeah, objectively, that would have been fun to watch. But I can't take my own personal. My desires for the kind of game I want to watch and say, actually, yeah, but but team, but players should be subjected to like de facto and very well played indentured servitude in order for that to happen. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. And the other the thing that I like that is a byproduct of the player empowerment era is that when you have a Dirk or a Steph or a Timmy or it means more than like, yes, 
Patrick, well, we won't we won't count the last few years, but more or less. Patrick, Patrick retired in the year 2000. I don't know what you're talking about. That was it. Like tough series against the Raptors and he hung them up. And that was it. That was it. Um, no, but like I'm not going to say it doesn't mean a lot that that Patrick Ewing played pretty much all of his career with the Knicks and let Malone with the Jazz it, and like you know all those guys. It, it does. does, but it I do think it means more um, now. Hey, you, yeah, you got Bush. You definitely do. If you haven't tried the best products from our sponsor today, Manscaped. Taking control of your Bush is important. These products are so good, you're going to be showering in your new Bush-free yard. It's a fact that you will have the best-kept nutsack on the cul-de-sac. Save big and be the most hygienic version of yourself by using discount code FILMSCHOOL for 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com. Whether you're looking to go bald like an eagle or just need a safe trim, Manscaped is dedicated to helping you level up your full-body grooming game. The grooming package I highly recommend is the Performance Package 4.0. Inside the package is the Lawnmower 4.0. This electric trimmer is a bush's worst nightmare. This trimmer is designed to reduce grooming accidents and shave hair on loose skin thanks to a ceramic blade and advanced skin-safe technology. No need for night vision goggles. This trimmer has an LED light to allow you to mow the lawn in the dark. Second best tool in the performance package is the Weed Whacker. This fine-tuned nose and ear hair trimmer will make sure your nasty nose pubes are under control. Instantly add some pep in your step with the Crop Preserver Deodorant and the Crop Reviver Spray-On Toner. With the performance package, you get two free gifts, the Shed Travel Bag and the patented high-performance Reduced Chafing Manscaped Boxers. They have a bunch of other products on their website to help you maximize your confidence and grooming game. Get 20% off and free shipping with our code FILMSCHOOL at MAMS. Manscaped.com. Again, that's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use your code FILMSCHOOL. It's time you level up from the Amazon to the Amadong with the ultimate bushwhacking tools from Manscaped. All right. It, it would be disingenuous of me that to at least have a brief chit chat. Brief about chat about it. here's here's I'm gonna say my thing, which I have not I have not spoken on this on the podcast yet, so I've been saving it. it. Speak on it. Speak your truth. Testify. My blowing out I, or am I encouraging bad behavior? Which one is it? Little column A, little column B. Go for it. For for years, I would get extraordinarily more than I should have. I, I let it get to me more than I, I had any right to. It's like I'm a person that has other things going on in my life. Extraordinarily peeved. When, That's what sources say. Yes, I've heard that. <laughs> when Nick's B writers would be you know, writing about or tweeting about the Knicks in a way where it, it seemed it, it was perceived by me to be needling, you know, the, the team. Um, and that was years ago. And then over the last few years, a few things have changed, which I don't know. That's what I want to say up front. Do not allow me to objectively speak about this topic because one, I've gotten to know all these guys. And like, I've told this story before. I'll say it again. Steph Bondi has, you know, given Linux a lot of shit over the years, took me under his wing when I, the year that I wrote about the team for sports illustrated and like, was there in the media, like show me around, like giving me, pointing me the right, like amazing human being, just incredibly nice guy. Like didn't need to do that at all. And like the, the list goes on, even Berman, like Berman's a, Berman's a strange duck. I would tell him that to his face. I have told him that to his face. 
but he's Herman, like Herman yeah. is an institution at this point. Yeah, he is. So, like, yeah, he does stuff that's just like weird. Like, but he's you he's can, you a, can clown on some of his uh, some of his prose stylings. You can put or his or his tweets on social media, et cetera, et cetera. Don't. But he's very going to hate him. He's Berman to the post. He's Berman to the post. So. You know, and I've like, you know, I've shared a train with Berman. We sat and, you know, shot the shit uh, coming back for Nick game. So, like, I can't speak about this objectively because these people, I consider these people my friends. I, I hope they, yeah. they do, too. They're, That's number one. Colleagues too. They I, 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 listen, I'm. Yeah, I said it. So what? You're Shut very up. kind. Shut That's up. number one. And number two, like, I don't know if right, choose well, my words look. carefully here. Yeah, I. Like, as I've been doing this over the last few years, I've tried to make inroads with the Knicks in terms of access and like things that I've asked for. And I usually politely get told to go on my merry way. And I know that would not be the case if I was covering probably any one of any, 29. Well, there, there are a couple that will still. Get uh, yeah, sure. There's a, there's a few. Sure. But the but, Knicks really. St- look, just to give readers some context, the point is historically, and I know this is guy that let's just take as a given that historically the Knicks relationship with the press, that includes the local press, the beat guys, the digital content creator class, let's call them, and the national basketball sporting press, all of them have said, and this is going on 20 years, that dealing with the Knicks when you are trying to cover this team, either in the short term or the long term, is uniquely difficult, that the Knicks are not just, and the more critical ones about the Knicks media, the relationship with media, will say that the Knicks are not just paranoid, but vengeful and that they keep score and they will enact like that. They, they don't let things go. And this has been a case for a long time. Now this came to a head as I'm sure all these listeners know, because the Knicks held a press conference for Donovan Mitchell and they Jalen Brunson. They didn't have the, they didn't have the, they didn't have the, they didn't have the, right. they didn't they have didn't, the fan event for uh, Donovan Mitchell yet. Right. They held a press event and air press event. Just, there you go a press event, which was just the MSG network. So it wasn't a press event. It was a, they were rolling out the new, they were rolling out the new Ford F-150 this year (laughs) is what they were doing. And JD Power and Associates were very impressed with their handiwork, but they didn't invite the, they didn't invite anyone from the actual, aside from their in-house media organ. And so beat writers and national like NBA reporters got mad about it. And they said this was wrong. And a certain contingent of the fans said, yeah, but you guys do the thing that you have expressed hostility towards, which is come across as if they are trolling or needling or needlessly taking shots at the team. Uh, I have a couple thoughts on this. Well, let me, hold on. Let yeah, me just finish sure. what my, I'm going to finish, finish what I'm briefly. Fr- my point your- that I was going to make is that I, for years, felt the exact same way that that most it seems like a lot of fans feel right now, which is that like large percent. I don't like I don't care that you don't get into that press conference because I don't care about the questions that you're going to ask Jalen Brunson or Leon Rose or anything like I get like my information from where I get it from, like the the questions that you're going to ask and the answers that you're you're going to get don't really matter to me as a Knicks fan. And when there is this pre-existing at times, at times, antagonistic relationship, or at least perceived to be as such between uh, the fan base and some of the 
people who cover the team, when you get people who cover the team, then saying this is not okay. It is a natural opportunity for fans to, to jump up and say, you know, basically, I don't, you know, go complain somewhere. Who cares? You're not on attack. It's yeah, not my problem. I exactly. Don't I find but, what you do pointless and useless. And so well, why even, do I care about your petty complaints? Even so, if I, I don't even know if the majority of the fan base has gone that far, but like, right. whatever, it, it, there, there's, there's varying degrees to people who have this point. The last thing I want to say is this, where I have to come down on this and just to be honest is like, I've started to look at it more from the perspective of the Knicks end of it, which is why, if I'm James Dolan, am I not going to to give unfettered access? Whereas 20 some odd other, I mean, again, there are a few teams out there who are not great either. But for the most part, every other NBA team is like, look, we're, we're going to allow the people who cover this team to just cover the team. And as someone who generally, not generally, who does believe in press and freedom, freedom. of press and, freedom and, press. And, and, and as being a good thing and a, a healthy thing for our society. And yet, as I say that, I catch myself because like, it's sports. I guess it's I know. Right. It, it is. But. It's part of the society. And I think there is a look, there are. Let me just take one example. There was a report that was put out last year. I think it was last year. Yes, it was last year. About COVID policies and how they would affect the Yankees and the Mets. And like the answer to that question was just because a daily news reporter was in the room and was able to ask those questions and was able to like, then they called up the mayor's office and they said, look, here are the questions that I have. How do they pertain to this baseball team? Does the fact that like certain unvaccinated Yankees might not be able to travel to Toronto or might not be able to play this year, does that change? You know, does that change a lot materially for anyone's life conditions? No, probably not. But they got to do it because they were in the room. And there is a value, like you don't know you cannot look at it and say like, okay, it was a press conference for Jalen Brunson. Maybe someone would have asked a rude question about Donovan Mitchell and it would have spoiled their feel good vibes. Maybe, but you know what? There's even have to say like, so the first person asks that you say like, thanks guys. We're not, we, we, we cannot by league rules. We're not allowed to comment on, 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 you know, on players that are on other teams and we're just not going to comment on that. Thank you for asking done. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, from the Knicks point of view, Bottom line wise, there is no reason for them to cooperate with anyone. It does like there are teams who require local media in order to help build attention with the team. Still, there are teams that see that as a as a as a positive thing. The Knicks could never like if if the Knicks never did another press conference again, it would not shed a single dollar it would not cause one well, person to not show up can i just There's no incentive for them briefly I, I want to push back on that from this very very specific perspective and this is where this is what has bothered me about their stance on the media in the past there are teams out there whose beat reporters i, I mean i don't know what else to say this wave pom-poms for the team and if you yeah, read the are. writing of beat reporters out there for i'm not going to say names or outlets or anything right, right, right. just go 
go pick up something, a, a newspaper, a, a, a piece written for an online publication. Pick up a what? A what? You mentioned a. <laughs> those, those, those still do exist. I saw them in my uh, local bodega this morning. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 Um, you know, but they, they were, but, but they are, I don't, they're not, I won't go so far as to say they are like an arm of the team, but it is very, very, very. There is a, the Knicks, positive. every New York team for decades has been subjected to adversarial coverage. The yeah. tabloids function like tabloids. They, they are powered by vinegar, snark, and bile, and always, and have been for at least as long as I've been reading them. And that's the difference about New York and all the other markets. Yeah. And so the Knicks don't like that, and they, and they don't like the way they're portrayed. Okay. Um, for me, it's not just about press. Look, I, 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 as I mentioned earlier in the pod, I don't really write about basketball that much anymore. So I rarely even write about sports that much anymore. Uh, I, I tend to cover a lot of uh, of uh, far right uh, online figureheads in the communities that surround them. Um, I'm on as, as as I've been told. I'm on the shithead beat. Um, and we thank you for your service. You're welcome. Right. My my uh, Ben Collins, who's a friend of mine and an outstanding reporter, refers to it as the dystopia beat. So pick both both of which I think are. are Solid contributors, but like in all of those communities, the what you would call the mainstream of the traditional press is absolutely loathed, hated. They hate them. They hate them with the fire of a thousand suns. Yeah. They they the, the phrase when they when when certain political figures talk about the press being the enemy of the people, they take that ish literally. Mm. And I know just from like look in in the I don't get nearly the amount of threats, threats of violence and, you know, ethnic slurs that I hear all the time or just incredibly rude things said to me that a lot of other reporters do. Um, being a being a middle aged, washed white dude has its advantages in certain moments. And this is one of them. Um, but I get I get I've had threats of violence and a couple of them have have legitimately made me go, ooh, that that's that's not just talking trash online. That's mm. that's real. Um, and again, that is a minuscule amount compared to a lot of other people who cover this. So I am very well aware that, that, that in a lot of American society, the press is absolutely hated. You can go to a Gallup approval poll and see this in numbers. Mm. Um, this has filtered, this is not just a Knicks thing. It is filtered down to sports. And, yeah. and, and, what, and it's not just necessarily about hatred of the press, qua hatred of the press. It is that so many parts of life now are treated as fandoms. We treat political community, we treat politicians we like, we treat them as fans. And that is regardless of political valence. You can, you can, oh, say, yeah. that, you can say that about 100%. Uh, Ron DeSantis just as easily as you can say it is as about uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. I stand queen. You can say that about either of them, right? You can, it is that, and it's, I think this is a much longer conversation, but it's the degree to which actual in-person online communities and institutions have become so degraded that we treat everything like a fandom and a, a self-created community that has been built largely online. And the rules for those communities, when someone attacks those communities, um, allow for a lot of anger and violent behavior that would never come up if it were mainly derived from real world experiences. And, and you see that anger and that 
And that, that sense of anger and that sense of resentment, that sense of isolation and that sense of loneliness now beginning to burble out into the real world too, where people are saying things to each other, say in school board meetings that would never have been said in the past. Um, and this is something in that beat, this is something that absolutely, it terrifies me. I am scared of it. I am worried about it, to say the least. And I have zero idea how to fix it. But I think it would be naive to think that this hasn't crept into sports fandom as a whole also, and Nick's fandom in particular, which was already seeded with a certain degree of which, of fans who feel that the press, that the Knicks press hates them. That the Knicks press not only hates the team, but I think the difference is that the, that the fans who, are, who were like, yeah, go get bent Bondi. I don't care that you didn't get to go to this press conference. I think they think that Steph Bondi hates them personally. Yeah. And they feel that any attack on the team is then is translated into an attack on them. And by the way, you, your, your point about the online nature of our lives uh, nowadays, that it's so fundamental to this because <laughs> things do kind of get lost in translation over whether it's a computer screen over or over a phone screen. 10 years ago, when I first joined Twitter, <laughs> I remember thinking, congratulations on your anniversary. No, sorry. It's 12. I joined, here's, here's of, what you've I joined Twitter in the summer of 2010 to follow, I believe the LeBron James Nick sweepstakes. Cause I saw on various blogs that the information was coming faster on this one website. And I thought, well, I better join that then. Um, but like, I remember thinking then, like, look at all these fa- there are famous people on this, on this, on this, on this microblogging website. They might get to hear what I have to say. I can, I, there was, a, there was a very sad conversation. I think I had recalled having a back and forth with like Andrew Breitbart in 2011. And there was a certain thrill of being able to say, like, when I told him some rude things, he actually had to read them. And like, if I were face to face with Andrew Breitbart before he passed, of course I wouldn't do that. Look, I was at a full disclosure. I was at a party pre-COVID and uh, uh, Ann Coulter was there. And oh, wow. I, I disagree with Ann Coulter on a great many things, to say the least. Did I go up and throw a drink in her face? No, I didn't. Because no. you don't do that. No. And whatever thoughts and feelings I may have about Ann Coulter, you don't throw a drink in someone's face, but the, all these websites allow you to metaphorically throw a drink in someone's face each and every hour of the day. And for as much as you want and suffer very little repercussions, if none, if doing so. And if you play your cards right, you can even get a certain amount of viral attention and fame for throwing a drink in someone's face. Well, it in fact encourages this kind of behavior. Um, Bob, so, as someone who has had a drink thrown in their face, let me tell you. Literally? <laughs> literally have you literally had a drink thrown in your face? Okay, well, we have, well this will be a good, a good way to end this, with this story. I, when I was, one of my latter years of bartending, I was a Saturday afternoon and I was doing at a, a place that offered a beer and wings deal for, um, a college, per, for a game watch. But only if you purchase the deal, you got to eat the chicken wings. You do not get to eat your friend's chicken wings, if uh, if you have right. not purchased the deal. Right. And there and were two. No one denies this. Perfectly logical. There were two patrons, two, two otherwise lovely young ladies who took it upon themselves to eat 
their friend's chicken wings. And the friend had purchased the deal. They had not purchased the deal, Bob. And I told them several times, please do not eat those chicken wings. Those are not your chicken wings. And they continued to eat the chicken wings. And, And then I got a little fed up. And as a girl, one of the girls was about to take a bite of the chicken wing. I removed it from her hand and I threw it in the garbage. And she then picked up her beer and threw it in my face and walked out of the bar. And that is why it is not nice to throw drinks in people's faces. Don't, don't throw it. A beer is sticky. It's it's not easy to get out. Like, get a seltzer, man. You know, if you're going to. I would have preferred it be a seltzer. All right. Let me just just to put one button on this. Please. Yes. Brief talk about about the Internet and things. I Yeah, I understand fans who express those sentiments online. I, I would also say that if you got most of those fans face to face with any of the beat reporters who they feel like aren't doing them justice, the team or fans justice, the, the, the interactions would be wildly different. And so I feel like what this points to, not that I agree with fans who are expressing this because of my heartfelt belief in like a free press being necessary to a functioning democracy. Like all of that, yes, but I feel like there are some there are some there are some larger societal aspects of play which are manifesting themselves in a particularly in a in a fertile terrain vis-a-vis Knicks fans, I think is, is what I would say about that. So yeah, if you if you're mad, I, I get it. And if you're in, and since the only way that people can really be mad these days is by posting, I think I think it's okay to, to recognize how we've gotten to this place and, and, and what's feeding that and, and whether that sentiment is as full-throated as it would be under different conditions. There is a reason that I wanted to have you on to have this discussion and I have sure. uh, no regrets. You, that was about as well phrased as I uh, could imagine. Um, this was fun. I don't think we pissed too many people off today. Andrew, do we piss too many people off today? Um, I failed. We'll find I out. Failed. I failed. <laughs> um, how can I, how can I, how can I torque it back? Um, uh, you're excited uh, to watch Jalen Brunson play basketball. Uh, Jalen Brunson's a fraud. Clown uh, fraud, Jalen Brunson. Uh, Jaylen you're going to love Jalen Brunson. You are going to I, love Jalen Brunson. I, I, I am sure I will. I dig undersized point guards. The thing about Jalen Brunson's game that, that's always struck me is that actually, if you're looking for another player who, who's, Offensive skill set is similar to Jalen Brunson, despite differences in size and body type and everything else. It's kind of Julius Randle. It's not. Cra- it's not crazy at all. It's not crazy, except Jalen uh, yeah. Brunson's w- w- incredibly more efficient, done, better yeah. at it, and it's done for a longer period of time. So yeah. yeah, as someone who was a Julius Randle liker, circa you know early twenty twenty one, early twenty twenty one, I'm sure I will. I'm sure I will. Julius Randle fraud. There you go. Um, That'll win you. What else? Fans back. What else? Mike Breen, overrated hack. Whoa, Clyde, whoa, 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 whoa. Clyde Frazier, I'm tired of his shtick, man. He says okay. the same thing five times. I'm sorry. Bob, Bob has got off the deep end. Um, um, uh, uh, ice cream. Satan. There, I don't know. All right. Nothing else. All right. John, <laughs> we haven't done this in a while. It's time to ban somebody from the next home school podcast. <laughs> who? 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 Yeah. Oh. I mean, I was I was I with you anyone. on the I was with you on the the freedom of the press and the principle that coincides. Um, once you start talking about ice cream, is when you hit my That's favorite fair. favorite flavor fair. of ice cream. Fair. Andrew, you go first. I am I'm being canceled by the film school pod. Yes, you are canceled. Cancel no, culture. Favorite flavor of ice cream. Come on, go. Oh, uh, favorite flavor of ice cream. Uh, butter pecan. When it's uh, done right. 
Forbidden chocolate from Friendlies. Uh, I'll shout out uh, local local business. Uh, Ample Hills Creamery. Not small local. Oh, that's business, nice. Oh, but yeah, it is small yeah, yeah. business. Um, it came from Gowanus. There's a flavor they have at fittingly enough their Gowanus location. It's very good. I don't know what's <laughs> in it. A rotting corpses and industrial runoff. Well, the picture. I, I don't know. That picture that goes along with the flavor is like a man emerging from the Gowanus Canal. It's like a swamp man. Um, it's yeah. very it's very tasty. Anyway. Most importantly, uh, first of all, thank you for coming on. Robert Silverman, can you tell the folks at home, please, if they would like to find your stuff and engage you with like you to, further? Yes. If you'd like to find me on the Internet, you can always go to Twitter at Bob Sayeta. Uh, if you go to my author page at The Daily Beast, there are some blogs there. I think you'll like them. I've got a story which I just filed yesterday and is in edits and hopefully should be done in the in a couple of weeks, assuming the, once the lawyers get done going over it. Yeah, it's that kind of story that the legal needs to give it a thumbs up. So uh, that's one I've been working on for about three months, I'm going to say. So it's been a long time coming. I got two more that are there in the works soon. I'm going to have to be all coy about what they're about. Mm-hmm. But if you check, I'm sure I'll post about them incessantly. So if you follow me on Bo- at Twitter at Bob Sayetta, B-O-B-S-A-I-E-T-T-A, uh, I- I'm sure you can find, you- I will post the links. And when John has me again, I will, ex- I will explain the long and storied uh, backstory of the Bob Sayetta name. It's got twists and turns. I think we said the same thing last time. We did. We did. We did say that in 2019. We will kick the can down the road once again to give folks something to look forward to for next time. It will not be another three years um, before you run a gun. Set an egg timer. Thank, (laughs) Thank you for having me. This was great, guys. All right. I hope you enjoyed that conversation between me and Bob. Bob is, uh, he's a really good dude. And I, I kind of maybe gloss over it at the beginning of the show, but it was really, really important for me personally. Uh, the time he spent talking to me early on as I was trying to get a footing in this world. Uh, and he's just, he's a good guy and he's always willing to support up and coming people in the industry and, so yeah, go support him, read his stuff, follow him if you're not already following him. And of course, if you are a fan of the show, help us out. Uh, drop a five-star rating, drop a kind review. If you're not subscribed, please do that. And uh, I think that's it. We will have another episode later in this week. And then we're, as uh, we've been hinting at for a bit, we're going to start switching to some more evergreen content. Uh, we got some fun stuff planned out over the summer. Me and uh, Jeremy and Andrew are going to be doing some some fun drafts. I won't say anything more than that, uh, but that'll be coming your way on our usual Monday show. But uh, yeah, another episode this week. And then that's what's on the deck. And of course, if any big news drops, you can count on us to be ready to discuss it at the, at the drop of a hat. Even if some of us are on vacation, I swear to God, man, if I'm in, if I'm in Miami and that alert comes in, I'm going to be so mad. I'm going to be so mad. <laughs> oh, God. We hope that it's not the case. Yes, we hope. <laughs> uh, until then, we'll talk to you soon. Bye.